0: Place is Place is and it's for either. Ghosts of my life.
1: they do of course they do by yes. uh, the band crass uh hey everybody it's lost futures a mark fisher podcast back at you
0: savage messiah a jordan peterson
1: podcast and i'm steven and i'm Marlo. and we are discussing the introduction for laura oldfield ford's savage messiah it's called always yearning for the time that just eluded us
0: savage messiah is Weirdly, one of the most used phrases in, like, the English language for titling things, as we found I, out. I
1: initially thought it was a movie. Did yeah, because s- there's a 2002
0: there's like- movie that's bad that's called Savage Messiah. Um, but um, And there's
1: also, as you mentioned, a... Yeah,
0: a book about Jordan Peterson called Savage Messiah, calling how Jordan Peterson... Like, is it a thing from the Bible? Like, is it is it a phrase that comes from somewhere? Well, this is
1: why we had anyway. to look up some.
0: In this particular instance, Savage Messiah refers to a zine that was printed in London from 2005 to to 2009, and then later collected into a book by Verso in 2011, written by and created by Laura Ford, who was a uh, painter and photographer and general artist who was capturing a, quote, London in transition... You know, as this is just in the article I was just reading, like, it came out more or less 2005, which is, like, right when the 2012 Olympics were announced. Mm -hmm. It was also the year of the uh, subway bombing in London. So It's also
1: around the same time that uh, Children of Men came out, which, if you read Capitalist Realism, you know, 2006, interestingly, also references the 2012 Olympics in London, where he's wearing the London 2012 Mm -hmm. thing the entire... And it's pretty nicely symbolic of Mm -hmm. what they saw coming, I guess. And a lot of this essay is reflecting on how London is changing. And to start out, I think we need to go back a little bit and say, hey, we're in chapter... We're in
0: chapter three out of three. This one is called A Stain of Place. I it's The the Stain stain of of Place. place.
1: And The Stain of Place, what does that mean? Well, the answer comes in this essay because he uses that haunting is about a staining of place with particularly intense moments of time is a quote from this that I underlined. And he's linking here hauntology to setting.
0: Right, so yeah, I, I think that, you know, not to read too much of a structure where Mark Fisher doesn't actually lay it out this way, but I think it could be perhaps useful to think of you know, the ideas of hauntology both having, like, a temporal and a physical component, and, you know, you can almost relate that to a real haunting, like, where the haunting as commonly understood in the popular imagination of, you know, you have a haunted house, Uh, the ghosts are a representation of the past, the house is a house. And in this case, we've gone through this... You know, time is out of joint was said a lot, but now we're kind of talking uh, more about the idea of London being haunted.
1: What better place than a punk narco collective v zine, zine
0: that came out about ten years after those were
1: In more
0: war. of a thing?
1: Yeah, like uh, <coughs> listener, I'm sure you've seen these zines before. It's kind of commonplace. They're In any urban environment. I don't know that I've... I'm sure I've seen this. Yeah, they're like...
0: I mean, I've seen a zine, like, actually at an anarchist bookstore on the shelf. I don't know that I've seen, like... I don't know. Um,
1: They're around if you know where to look for them. They they get handed out Mm -hmm. at events and stuff. Yeah, so, Savage Messiah is one of those.
0: Yeah, and I mean, going back to the origins of punk, like, in the... Seventies you had cheap access to mimeographs. You started to have some people with office jobs who even might have gotten access to a Xerox. And it was sort of a early alternative media format before really the internet.
1: Yeah. Um, before there were podcasts or zines. Yeah,
0: yeah. Before there were podcasts, blogs, social media. So you know they were a thing for a while, and I mean we should probably just kind of go through the essay. But you know he gets into the sort of way that anachronism of the zine already in like I mean he's writing in 2011, but really already in 2005 was a old thing that we weren't doing so much anymore. But yeah, anyway.
1: it is interesting to think about this in 2011 because it's a book of collection right of all and, the and zines. that kind
0: of you know sort of give this not to you know put words in his mouth but like a kind of medium is the message sort of idea of the importance of the zine as the medium which is sort of rings interesting just insofar as he's writing this as an introduction to a collected Set in a book that is obviously a different medium and format than the original scene.
1: That was very highly regarded. It was put on like the number one books coming out in 2011 by m- multiple people. Yeah, yeah. She's also an artist who mostly does urban landscape kind of. Mm-hmm. She also did the cover of Mark Fisher's post punk then and now book if you have one of those these are like deep cuts it's not one of like the canon for mark fisher necessarily but it was like a collection of essays a couple people contributed not just mark fisher and also he had printing of some interviews he had Mm -hmm. with other of our friends like code whoa who comes up a lot yeah and she does the painting for the cover of that
0: so uh i guess it starts with laura ford calling her work diaristic
1: i feel like that's supposed to be diary
0: yeah of her having to do with diaries i think is what that means (laughs) yeah if savage messiah is diaristic then it is also much more of a memoir yeah that does make sense you know it's representative of the old London as it is sublated into the new, as it is kind of subsumed and become a part of the new. The Uh, decaying
1: fabric, this unknowable terrain, has become my biography. The euphoria, then the anguish, layers of memories colliding, splintering, and reconfiguring. She's got her perspective about her own work that she's you know, like an artist, she's giving kind of an artist statement in a lot of this about what she thinks her work represents. And she actually pushes back a lot later in the essay on mm-hmm. some of the ways characterized. Right. Okay, so compares it to the punk culture... She began producing in 2005, eight years into the new, a new labor government that had consolidated rather than overturned Thatcherism. And I, I thought that was really Yeah, insightful. That con-
0: to go on, the context is bleak. London is a conquered city. It belongs to the enemy.
1: This is contrary to the way that liberals think about uh, new labor and the way they think about the Democratic Party... Yeah, know, and also just the notion
0: kind of, of progress. I mean, you know, same thing happens in New York around the same time, pretty much.
1: Where I feel like a lot of liberalism sighed relief and saw it as this glorious well, re- we, repudiation of conservatism while allowing a lot yeah, of the same things yeah, to go along on. Along
0: with that, you have this new urban landscape that you know, is against the backdrop of the crime scares of the 90s, is turned into
1: essentially a playground for the rich. and Playground for the rich and a police state in some mm-hmm. ways. I mean, it's hard not to think about police state here in New York where we're recording because... Yeah, well, the Nichols uh,
0: video footage was just released today, so...
1: Yeah, Mark
0: that as uh, dating this episode. timestamp, yeah. We're, uh, we're
1: recording this in late January 2023 for any of you who are out of joint in the yes. future. But yeah, as you said, what neoliberalism brought as progress, yeah, yeah, the consolidation. Um, yeah, of,
0: and they're characterizing it as an enemy occupation, so that's kind of the landscape that we're up against and the know.
1: dominant mood is one of restoration and reaction but it calls itself modernization and it calls its divisive and exclusionary work making London safe for the super rich regeneration mhm yeah that's yeah, pretty much what i said mark but uh hey you're just repeating what he says yes uh, we're
0: also kind of returning, and he makes the uh, reference to peace later on. Um, but we're returning to this, you know, eternal Gnostic question of the: is the grit the good part, or is the good part the gritty part? You know, yeah, uh, which I feel like so often haunts a lot of uh, the questions that a lot of these essays are kind of getting at in, in relation specifically to the urban landscape.
1: What what do you think about that question? Oh, yeah,
0: I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about this notion of this emerging into the 21st century, renewed London as this enemy occupation and this lost... I mean, this lost future, um, but... Uh,
1: but also resisting it as nostalgia, because it's, you know, it wasn't all that great right, right, to right. begin with.
0: Yes, there were um, sex cults or something, <laughs> <laughs> run by priests and the Savile. Um, anyway, yeah, well, a uh, good old 90s London rave scene.
1: She She talks very eloquently about her London... When I was writing the zines, I was drifting through a London haunted by traces and remnants of rave, anarcho-punk scenes and hybrid subcultures at a time when all this un- these un- incongruous urban regeneration schemes were happening. And the idea that I was moving through a spectral city was really strong. It was as if everything prosaic and dull about the new labor version of the city was being resisted by these ghosts of brutalist architecture, of 90s convoy culture, rave scenes, 80s political movements, and a virulent black economy of scavengers, peddlers, and shoplifters. I think the book could be seen in the context of the aftermath of an era where residues and traces of euphoric moments haunt a melancholy landscape. Yeah, they keep bringing up London 2012 mm-hmm. and I always I do now think about Children of Men where yeah, he's going through he has the sweatshirt or the shirt that's mm-hmm. London 2012 and there was also an essay I read in a hauntology journal zine Psychic Albion which had a similar artist as Ford giving an interview, and he talked about how much parts of London had changed after and during the rejuvenation or regeneration from London 2012 and it does seem like a landmark thing in gentrification for the city.
0: So being Mark Fisher he does in fact tie this to politics. He's not just some little artsy boy. Uh, This quote's worth reading in full because it's kind of where is this all going? Space is indeed the commodity here. A trend that started 30 years ago and intensified as council housing was sold off and not replaced culminated in insane superinflation of property prices in the first years of the 21st century. If you want a simple explanation for the growth in cultural conservatism for London's seizure by the forces of restoration, you need to look no further than this. You know, this whole old to new London really is, you know, it gets back even to the introduction of this book where he's talking about this lost space for artistic creation. But, you know, we should not forget that this also does have an effect as we are essentially disenfranchising the poor by forcing them out of the city entirely and or
1: forcing them into the street or like yeah
0: and this is allowing a capture by the right wing uh, which is
1: under the guise of of modernizing and and pr- progress right
0: yeah yeah and new labor etc cetera, etc cetera. uh bloomberg whatever you want to say
1: whatever city you're in you know who mm-hmm. who it is that has done this
0: you know to quote the last chapter i can't say which religion <laughs>
1: the kanye yeah, yeah yeah anyway uh no uh, um uh. all right savage messiah rediscovers the city as a site for drift and daydreams a labyrinth of side streets and spaces resistant to the process of gentrification and development set to culminate in the miserable hyper spectacle of 2012 they really they really were miserable thinking about this yeah isn't new york getting
0: a olympics well we're getting the fucking world cup's gonna happen at some point oh yeah new york and philly's getting a world cup Wait, they're doing it both places? Yeah, it's like the World Cup is in America, quote-unquote. You know how they like do that? They don't do it by city a lot of the time. Yeah. So, yeah, it's in America, which will be multiple. I think, like, Dallas, uh, New York, Philly, somewhere else. Um, That's bizarre. Dallas has a big-ass stadium. <laughs> and also a lot of people do live around Dallas. It's a... Uh, Major place,
1: Mr. Capital demands that we always look busy, even if there's no work to do. If neoliberalism's magical volunteerism is to be believed, there are always opportunities to be chased or created. Any time not spent hustling and hassling is time wasted. The whole city is forced into a gigantic simulation of activity. A fanaticism, a productivism in which nothing much is actually produced. An economy made out of hot air and bland delirium. It's one of my favorite quotes from this. Yeah. He has a pretty good YouTube clip of him explaining depression. And he talks about the simulation of productivity is so, so true. If you have a job and you're working in some type of middle management or some type of Working class job, there is so much wasted time just being at work mm-hmm. where you don't do anything. You have to pretend like you're doing something. And I like that he's linking it here to these larger structural yeah. aspects of society um, going I mean, through transition.
0: Yeah, not to you know downplay the original zine or the book. I mean, it was, after all, published by Verso. As being, you know, largely artistic, but there is a very strong uh, focus on the politics that were inherent or even explicitly stated with that, in, through all this, which is definitely worth. It's worth checking out. It's- did we already pass the point about London in the post-war? Oh wait,
1: yeah, as John Savage points out in England's Dreaming, the London of Punk was still a bombed out city, full of chasms, caverns, spaces that could be temporarily occupied and squatted. Once those spaces are enclosed, practically all of the city's energy is put into paying the mortgage or the rent. There's no time to experiment to journey without already knowing where you will end up. Your aim and objectives have to be stated up front.
0: That quote I thought was interesting. I mean, one, there's a very almost David Harvey uh, Marxist argument you could make about what he's saying as a form of primitive accumulation. Mm. Namely, I mean, he used the word enclosed which brings to mind Enclosure, which was essentially the English nobility in the 19th century deciding to all become capitalists, which required them to carton off old entire villages and shit that was on land they owned and, like, common spaces and use that for sheep grazing, which uh, left the former peasant class that lived in those villages with nothing to do other than to move to London and work in a factory. And it's uh, very much a similar process where the conditions of World War Two created essentially a large array of commons of, you know, non-commodified space because the investments to re-commodify that space after it was suddenly destroyed was no longer there. And through the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, you have the process of progressively taking that space back by the capitalist class and what before allowed for almost a modern peasantry of punks who could squat in a place and create art and Mm. do things, uh, suddenly that was taken away as well.
1: Yeah, Um, back to the capitalist class. Yes.
0: Also the imagery and the way it it just, for me, kind of invokes uh, the game Disco Elysium and the setting there as being this very post-war setting as well, and within that, these working class, both desperation, but also culture.
1: We haven't talked about... Can you give the listener Disco Elysium in a sentence or two?
0: Yeah, I mean, it is also interesting because it is also... It's a video game, but it's a video game in a genre that also is a bit anachronistic for when it came out. Being a very old-style CRPG that almost borderlines on a point-and-click adventure, taking place in this fictitious city, but this very living and real city that has a lot of these same thematic ideas of what is a place, what is the past, what is the now. It's against the backdrop of, you know, a failed communist revolution 50 years ago, and this basically bombed out area that people still live in. It was actually made by a anarcho-communist-ish collective as
1: well. Um, Yeah, which they...
0: It's the savage messiah of video games.
1: Yeah, and they they mention anarcho-punk collectives in in this throughout because it does have a very anarchist Mm -hmm. bent. Like, zines are very much... Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, it was... Newspapers were for the communists and the anarchist magazines Exactly. <laughs> uh,
1: they mentioned the band that we played at the beginning, the anarcho-punk collective Crass. Yes. Um, and the entire aesthetic is meant to evoke this feeling of the 80s, even though it was made in 2005. The anarcho-punk look was everywhere, totally emptied of its radical critique. It seemed important to go back to the moment of the late 70s and early 80s to a point where there was social upheaval, where there was riots and strikes, exciting cultural scenes and ruptures in the fabric of everyday life. The return to the post-punk moment is the route to an alternative present, yet this is a return only to a certain ensemble of style and methods. Nothing quite like Savage Messiah actually existed back then. So it is in some ways a like looking back to look forward. That initially was a quote by Ford, and then Fisher is commenting on it. Mm-hmm. He compares it to cut-up style of William Burroughs, yeah, gigantic unfinished collage, um, and a lot of uh, situationist uh, aesthetic. Cutting yeah. out the newspapers yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. posting it on just the letters to make uh-huh. the style. Yeah. And that was like the Dada, surrealist kind of mm-hmm. thing from the 30s, That then the punks in the 1980s kind of, like, most famous one is the, you know, the Sex Pistols, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, God Save the Queen. Yeah, that, that is kind of haunting the Savage Messiah kind of reality. They keep mentioning the the miners' strike. Can you give me like a little background on uh, why yeah, the I mean, miners' was... strike was so important? He brings it up in Capitalist Realism as well, where it was a moment where everybody saw like the mask was undone in the 80s of what they really meant by progress, which is to destroy labor movements.
0: You know, my general understanding is simply that the... Welsh coal miners had one of the more powerful unions and it was more or less, uh, their strike was broken by Thatcher. I don't know the exact nature of, it was generally seen as, yeah, a huge defeat for labor and the uh, kind of, you know, Rubicon of, Marching neoliberalism in the same way that the air traffic controller strike was in the United States except more so because England still had a more of a fucking Union culture than the US in the 80s. Yeah, Um, I, I couldn't really speak with any expertise beyond essentially
1: that Good quotes in here. It's adapt or die. And there are many different forms of death available to those who can't pick up the business buzz or muster the requisite enthusiasm for the creative industries. Six million ways to die. Choose one. Drugs. Depression. Destitution. So many forms of catatonic collapse. In earlier time, deviance, psychotics, and the mentally collapsed... Uh, inspired militant poets, situationists, rave dreamers—now they're incarcerated in hospitals or languishing in the gutter. Man, way to lift us up, Mark. No. With your optimism. Speaking of which, he says, still the mood of Savage Messiah is far from hopeless. It's not about caving in. It's about different strategies for surviving the deep midwinter of Restoration London. People living on next to nothing, no longer living the dream, but not giving up either, five years since the last party, but he held his plot, scavenging for food like a Ballardian crash victim. You can go into suspended animation, knowing the time is not yet right, but waiting with cold reptile patience until it is. Or you can flee dystopian London. Without ever leaving the city, avoiding the central business districts, finding friendly passages through the occupied territory, picking your way through the city via cafes, comrades' flats, public parks, Savage Messiah is an inventory of such routes, such passages, through territories of commerce and control. I I don't know what to add to that. It's really good. It's really—it's almost mournful when I read it out loud. It's mournful. It's kind of saturated in this. Yeah,
0: and also, I mean, those of you familiar with Mark Fisher are familiar with the writing style of saying hopeless stuff and then saying it's not hopeless. It's a classic Mark Fisher. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Classical. It's uh, whimsical ways of. Yeah, no, it just kind
0: of... It's like, you know, you do that all the time, dude.
1: Yeah, the mood is far from hopeless. Let me then list off the most hopeless shit possible.
0: Yeah. And
1: then he gets into the music. The music is all music that neither one of us really likes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like it more yeah, than you. Yeah, you like Throbbing Gristle. I like Throbbing Gristle. I like Japan. Oh, that was fine. Um gig posters from 30 years ago, half-forgotten haircuts. Man, yeah, he's it's very... He's uh, very
0: much, I feel like, just describing what the zine looks like. Yeah. yeah. There's, like, yeah, there's punk imagery. It's a punk scene. It has punk imagery in it. Uh, I'm saying that as Mark Fisher more poetically. But, yeah, that's what's <laughs> in there. Right, You know what punk imagery is? You know that, like, yeah that sex pistol shit that the with the fucking letters yeah it's in there
1: well yeah <laughs> I, I brought it up in one of my essays about good Charlotte, which I have to mm-hmm. go on a podcast to talk about because they use the um, situation as dada in their music video for lifestyles of the rich and famous mm-hmm. to kind of in a very pop way evoke yeah. the, uh, the the punk of the past while being right. the most corporate sounding band in the world.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yep. He's going on a Good Charlotte fan cast, home of the number one people who love Good Charlotte, because he wrote at this point the longest essay anyone has written about Good Charlotte. Yep. Um, it's not a positive essay about Good Charlotte.
1: And I'm excited to talk about it with this woman who might think it's a positive essay. Yeah.
0: We'll find out.
1: She wanted my bio, and also to include in the bio, my connection to Good Charlotte. Okay. (laughs) Which I'm scared to write. (laughs) I'm scared to write it. Well, to get to what you were saying, Savage Messiah is also about the relationship between music and place. The zine is also a testament to the way in which the sensitive membranes of the city are reshaped by music. This reminds me a lot of I said this before before the podcast the John Fox essay that mm-hmm. we wrote read two weeks ago yeah. about abandoned buildings kind of having this place mm-hmm. and, and how interesting it, it does seem like he's he was priming this essay with that in a in a, like a lot of these essays talk to yeah I mean
0: a lot of these essays also are all floating around this Gen X-E 90s raven punk England, the thing that all has, yeah. You know, there's a lot of warehouses, there's a lot of
1: warehouses
0: in all of these
1: people's conceptions of London. Okay, so here's the part that I thought was most interesting was when he seems to be interviewing her, right?
0: Uh, I mean, it's the intro to her book, He might he might just be pulling from quotes of hers. I didn't quite...
1: Well, he says that he brings up the tag psychogeography. Oh, okay. And superficially, the obvious tag for savage messiah would be psychogeography, which is the study of the influence of geographical environment on the mind or on behavior and also the geographical environment of a particular location.
0: That's why Southern Europeans are hot-headed and (laughs) hot-tempered.
1: She gets kind of mad at that. Yeah. She says, I think a lot of what is called psychogeography now is just middle-class men acting like colonial explorers showing us their discoveries and guarding their plot.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just like that kind of like, oh my God, I feel like, Ever since I moved to New York, I'm, like, a new person. Oh, man, I just... You know, we we people in New York just think about things differently. You know, the type. Yeah. The, yeah, like, the, there's a type she's talking about.
1: The the kind of vacuous, almost naive way of... Yeah,
0: and also, Seeing
1: like, yourself in a place and then...
0: Yeah, and also, like, try to claim some level of shared experience because you popped up in a place that people have lived uh, their entire lives and
1: yeah. oh my god it's so new york yeah it's so london and then she talks about her own experience i've spent the last 20 years walking around london and living here in a precarious fashion i've had about 50 addresses i think my understanding and negotiation of the city is very different to theirs so, the, the men,
0: yeah. So, I guess the open question would be Is she rejecting the notion of psychogeography as having it playing a part in her work as such, or does she just not like the way that it's applied?
1: I, I was gonna ask you about that. What do you think? She doesn't
0: make an argument against it as such, I don't think. Um, and-
1: that term is used to describe her work. Yeah, which it sounds
0: like she just hates all the people that do that. Right.
1: (laughs) Um, That's not to say she's not doing it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I could
0: see an argument, you know, to be made that perhaps this really isn't psychogeography, but, you know, more of a structural geography um, that she might be getting at, but... You know, that's also putting words beyond anything she said. So, you know, I could see her maybe having a theoretical quibble with that. It does, though, seem like she associates it very much. And, I mean, she's also, I mean, it's different in England because, you know, the Racial components are different than in the United States, but she's also Engaging in art and culture that gentrifiers like, Yeah, like Well, she is not a gentrifier, but and the reason gentrifiers like it is because it's a thing that actually pre-existed Gentrifiers that they can then relate to and thus become pre-existent before they were gentrifiers as well but you know She is very much the quote-unquote native who is trying to stake her claim to this art and culture against the vein of gentrifiers who also typically like 70s and 80s punk aesthetic, at least in the 2000s in London, they sure shit did, I assume. If they were anything like fucking New York. Uh, You know, so... That's, like, another element of this. So I feel like a lot of the, at least from that quote, the notion of psychogeography just for her is so terribly tainted with this set of just, like, these people who are just, like, oh, my God, I discovered what living in a city is like.
1: Yeah, and I recently we went to... Museum. It, it was at MoMA, PS1, it was free, Yeah. Uh, and the, the exhibit was Life Between Buildings, mm-hmm. and basically you walk through in a, a plot of land, you know, that was, uh, you know, that somebody mm-hmm. wrote some long essay about and how important that plot of land was between the buildings and pictures was featured prominently Mm -hmm. at it and and it just seems like someone documenting yeah uh, i
0: mean and we've neither one of us have actually we didn't get the book savage messiah we have not picked up any zines of savage messiah wasn't super easy to find savage messiah shit online but also didn't look too much um but yeah so I'm I don't want to like assume I know what this is necessarily like. I've seen you know some pools of her artwork. I've read like an interview she did a- other than this um, but
1: but to your point, that exhibit between life between buildings was very much something that gentrifiers like to look at. Oh yeah yeah no and when, I mean
0: there's there's I mean, uh, people been doing fucking let me document the punk culture since, like, 1978. Like, I mean, pe- people have been doing that fucking, like, look at my collage of black and white pictures of a bunch of, like, kids living in a fucking annex somewhere. You know, that that kind of stuff's been going on for, you know, ever. Um,
1: but my question is, does that, do you feel like that takes away from the project itself, or is it I mean
0: you know the whole time I've been recording this is I've just been thinking man I really hope she never hears this <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really care about what she thinks of me but she, I feel like she'd fucking hate me but um no I no I think there is something to be said though of from her perspective certainly uh this is her culture uh, I mean she is a punk from the 70s who's been in London forever And, yeah, from her perspective, uh, fuck yourself, (laughs) Um, you know, uh, and she's sort of, you know, yeah, uh, people, you know, uh, be they people who were just born in the 90s, but, you know, like 70s punk music and like how punk music is and all that or what have you or like the aesthetic or there's a certain urban cachet, you know, particularly when it might be a little awkward for you to really go hello fellow kids to hip-hop culture. Um, You know, punk is a thing uh, that has a certain cachet that is very much commodified and removed from its inception of actual people sustenance living in an urban environment and coming up with music and culture around that. That's just, you know, that's just the case, but she is, in my understanding, kind of documenting what this is for her. I mean, she started out saying it was diaristic. You know, she started out saying that, you know, Mark Fisher commented, this is like a memoir. So this is very much from her perspective. She's not a fucking gentrifier. But yeah, I mean, she's certainly going to necessarily be aware that she is working in that space. I mean, she had a fucking zine that, guess what, blew up in, like, the artsy literary world. So, yeah. (laughs) And now that scene's a book,
1: printed by Verso. Yep. So she doesn't like psychogeography, but she does like hauntology. Yeah,
0: well, Mark Fisher is always keen to
1: throw that one out there. (laughs) The London I conjure up is imbued with a sense of mourning, Ford says. These are the liminal zones where the free party rave scene once illuminated the bleak swaths of marshland and industrial estates. Then Mark says, so many dreams of collectivity have died in neoliberal London. A new kind of human being was supposed to live here, but that all had to be cleared away so that the restoration could begin. And then, yeah, haunting is about a staining of place with particularly intense moments of time. And like David Peace, with whom her work shares a number of affinities, Ford is alive to the poetry of dates, 1979, 1981. 2013. These years recur throughout Savage Messiah, moments then a whole alternative time track opens. In addition to being the year of London, Olympics 2012 is also, according to some, the year that the Mayans predicted the end of the world. But 2013 could also be year zero, the reversal of 1979, the time when all the cheated hopes and missed chances were finally realized savage messiah invites us to see the contours of another world in the gaps and cracks of an occupied London. Perhaps it is here that the space can be opened up to forge a collective resistance to this neoliberal expansion, to the endless proliferation of banalities and the homeogenizing effects of globalization. Here in the burnt-out shopping arcades, the boarded-up precincts, the lost citadels of consumerism. One might find the truth. New territories might be open. There might be a rupturing of this collective amnesia. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, I don't know. If anyone somehow listening to this who doesn't remember a doo-doo... The apparent end of the tracking of the Mayan long count calendar, this has been interpreted by different New ageists to be some sort of apocalyptic event that was supposed to occur, uh, I think during winter solstice of 2012.
1: To bring back the Burroughs, Burroughs was super into the Mayan calendar. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah. I don't
0: know the entire. I feel like this is somehow Terrence McKenna's fault. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know the exact nature of like the history of Westerners speculating about twenty twelve being the end I, of the Long Count calendar. I think
1: that was brought up possibly first time by Burroughs. Like, I think he popular- popularized that in the sixties and seventies because
0: he did he independently study the Mayan calendar or like. Surely he must have read in a book somewhere.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, that also is a thing. But yeah, yeah, maybe. That could have been Burroughs' fault. <laughs> 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 Some fucking annoying druggie <laughs> made that annoying for a year. It was a an in-joke amongst my friends in high school. I, I think there was one time where someone pulled the... Twelfth page from the twentieth animorph book, and it was something about fire and destruction, or something. And that was <laughs> like a, a prophecy about twenty twelve that we came up with. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, they. I think this also the thing that we're really missing is. Somewhere in the structure of the book or the zine, it actually is talking about 2013, which at the time was a futuristic date, so... But not
1: a futuristic date from the time that uh, Ghosts of My Life came out, which came out in 2014. Okay. So...
0: It is future from 2011 when this thing was written, so... Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of this renewal date, uh, both perhaps a teasing of the 2012 apocalypse with a uh, merging of that with the 2012 Olympics as this life after neoliberalism point. So Which yeah. never happened.
1: Yep. Yeah. All right. That's mm. it for us. It's a good essay. I'd recommend anybody. Yeah, that's, yeah, anybody that's listening should preferably be reading along. Uh, and we got four more to go. The next one is Nomalgia, the Junior Boys. So this is goodbye. Yeah, and see you next week. Fly into the street. Fly into the street and roaming dogs
0: Rabbit, call me the beast cage in the heart of the city. Is everybody in?
1: Is everybody in?